0: Hello everyone and welcome back to More Knowing Wheel, episode 128 of your favourite Formula One show. And today, obviously, we're in the midst of the summer break. I'm joined by Jamie183, who is slowly getting the shivers due to the lack of motorsport action, or Formula One action, nonetheless. But I guess you're happy that the Premier League is back? I am very happy. My FPL team has done phenomenally well on the first... Have you just got Erling Haaland? Yes. Haaland captain. Yeah. You... <laughs> But uh, I so I don't really follow the Premier League. Um, for those that don't know, I I don't I don't mind football, but I just don't care for it the way a lot of people do. Um, hasn't basically everyone got Haaland uh, as yes. captain? So the points are useless. If you don't have him captain, you're a
1: mug. So, Alex Chittick if you're watching, you're a mug. Fair enough.
0: Fair <laughs> enough. Do you think Alex Chittick is watching? That's a bit of an uh, odd shout out. I know he's on got on not Haaland captain, so he deserves he deserves, deserves the embarrassment. Fair enough um but yeah today though of course we're returning to actually what has been a bit of a fan favorite so far in 2023 um obviously we we explored the top of the iceberg you know we we made it to the surface level we're now onto tier three of the f1 iceberg jamie we're we're Plunging now into the depths of the icy cold water here for some more controversies and again a bit like the last episode there's quite a lot of these uh, that are fairly recent obviously we'll leave a link uh, down in the uh, description below as well obviously if you want to go check out this uh, F1 iceberg that we're using Um, and as well quickly before we jump in with the rest of the show obviously. A quick reminder to all of you, from 2024 Knowing Wheel is leaving the Mac into YouTube channel. It is going to be exclusively hosted over on the Knowing Wheel uh, YouTube channel. So you know, if you're enjoying these podcasts, and obviously you don't want to miss out on them in the future, there'll be links down below to all of our social medias. Um, so obviously we still post this over on obviously YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, and also Spotify. Um, but we, we haven't signed an exclusivity deal, so if there's anywhere that you would like to see the show as well that we haven't started uploading to i can see what i can do but yeah get yourself subbed to the knowing wheel youtube channel of course if you're here on my channel um but jamie where where do we want to start
1: i reckon so we don't miss any we should just start from the beginning it's probably the best shout um
0: and start from the beginning seems wise yeah
1: and on this one it's the 2011 barring grand prix which was a grand prix that never happened uh (laughs) for quite controversial reasons at the time you kind of had yeah, it's basically a political iceberg rather than a Formula 1 iceberg, but there was a lot... Formula 1 and politics? Name a more exactly, iconic duo. Exactly. There was a, a lot of difficulty going on in the Bahrain region. Um, and basically, Bernie Eccleston was working with a bunch of dictators who were in charge of Bahrain at the time, and there was a lot of conflict, basically a civil war going on, and Bernie Eccleston was still trying to get the race going, and all the teams were like, you're mad. Um... <laughs> And How many times do we think people told Bernie he was yeah, mad? Yeah. So there was a bunch of protests from the the Bahraini people who were protesting against their government at the track, um, and basically <coughs> Bernie Eccleston was telling the teams to get on with it. The teams weren't really having it, and eventually they settled on canceling the race. It was, I think, it was in the week leading up to the Grand Prix, maybe even a couple of days before the Grand Prix, that actually got cancelled. Um, but yeah, there was there was no 2011 Bahrain Grand Prix. And I will not get any more into politics than that.
0: <laughs> Fair enough, Jamie. We're we are we're not doing knowing politics just yet. Um, that'll be a show in the near future oh, yeah. when we're both in our mid-30s um, and unhappy with the world I we live in. Um, so I don't particularly, but, you know... Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a weird time, obviously, in the world of Formula 1. You know, Bahrain had obviously come onto the calendar in 2004, wasn't mm-hmm. the first race we had uh, in the Middle East. And at that point, of course, was still the only race we had in the Middle East. So, obviously, it was a bit of a shame that Abu year. Um turned up. Um, Oh, sorry, yes, Abu Dhabi. I knew I was forgetting one, wasn't I? Abu Dhabi obviously had made its Formula 1 debut by then. Um, but of course, yeah, a bit, bit disappointing. Obviously, you know, Bahrain often was a good track. Uh, let's be fair, though, that year probably just would have been the Seb domination. Yeah. Um, obviously, won the Grand Prix the year later, didn't he? Uh, and then, I believe, he, yeah, because it was identical podiums in 2012 and 2013. Yeah, and he would have won 2010 and his
1: spark plug not giving up.
0: Yes, he probably would have. But it did allow Ferrari and Alonso to have a little bit of (laughs) hopium for the rest of the year there. But yeah, 2011 Bahrain Grand Prix, Bernie Eccleston being a madman. Um, What more could you need to start a Formula One Iceberg podcast, as always? Let's head on over then, Jamie, to the glitz and glamour. It's the Monaco Grand Prix. It's 2006, the first year of the V8 engines. Unless, of course, you had the uh, original Toro Rosso, because I've got to mention that as well. Otherwise, someone will tell me off down in the comments. Michael Schumacher, after a rough 2005, is on a fight back against reigning world champion Fernando Alonso. And obviously, we all know how important pole is at the Monaco Grand Prix. He's on pole. Alonso's on a run behind him. And Michael makes an odd mistake into La Rascasse, doesn't he? Fascinating. Oh, yes. A very odd mistake where he just
1: stops driving the car <laughs> and just pulls up. Uh yeah, it was a little bit strange. He was losing the championship. I think it was eleven points behind up to this yes, point in the championship yeah. quite early in the season, so and only ten points for a win. So quite a big gap to Alonso. So he kind of knew he had to win this one, or had to beat Alonso to get back into the title fight. And yeah, he was on provisional pole. Alonso was behind him on track. Schumacher wasn't really improving or massively improving on his last lap in Q three. And He Alonso Alonso was. He was about to obliterate pole position, and Michael Schumacher, the old uh, yeah, bending the rules as he likes to do quite often, um, decided that instead of completing the lap, he would just stop at Rascas, and (laughs) literally no, like he didn't even make it look like a mistake. He just like turned into Rascas way too little, and then just pulled up in a parking spot. (laughs) <laughs> and then just left his car there. I mean, yeah. And it wasn't even like he turned he turn- the car off; he just left it running.
0: Well, he, t- he turned it like four yeah. times though, didn't he? Like he turned in, pretended <laughs> that he turned in too early, even though he quite clearly yeah. had. Did it again, and then did it again, and then just stopped. Yeah. And it, the thing was, well, the where he'd stopped, if he'd put on full lock, he could have still yeah. got the car yeah. going again. It was so badly done. Um. So if I if I remember correctly, he was sent to the back he of the was, grid, yeah. wasn't he? He Was. I mean, the end.
1: He- was on pole because Alonso couldn't improve but they got yeah. sent to the back of the grid still finished 5th though exactly. which is quite impressive when you can't overtake
0: well it goes to show just how dominant like the the Renault and the Ferrari were yeah. that year relative to the rest of the that field was Red Bull's first ever um, podium that weekend fun fact it was Red Bull's first ever podium that weekend because Christian Horner had to jump in yeah. uh, to the pool didn't he um, yeah it was a bizarre bizarre time yeah. in the world his, of Formula uh, his 1 his German you know? counterpart did
1: it a lot better in 2014, for say the least.
0: Well, this was what I was going to say, of course, because that led to the infamous interview, didn't it, with Keke Rosberg after Schumacher had made that qualifying mishap, where he, what was it that he said, he said that you should perhaps someone, rethink yeah, the sport you're someone in. Someone who does
1: that kind of thing should should consider whether they they should race an F1,
0: whether they belong in the yeah. sport. And then, of course, his son looks at that and goes, "Hmm, that seems like a good Rosberg idea." And eight did years it later, much better.
1: I don't want to say if it was deliberate, but he made it
0: he was at, he broke 50 meters <laughs> too late into an 80 meter well, braking He made zone. it look like a genuine mistake. Maybe it was a genuine mistake, but it was a, well if it was a stupid mistake, he still should have been sent to the back of the grid. Yeah. Um but that I mean yeah, that really obviously started the Hamilton Rosberg beef didn't it? Yeah. Um, which I don't know actually if this is on this. I don't think it is. Um yeah, I, I was going to say cuz if it was I would have thought we would have already gone through it by now cuz most of the ones lower than this Are much, much further down the order. Um, But yeah, Michael Schumacher cheating in Formula One um, since 2006. A lot before Long before (laughs) then, to be fair. Um, Cheating in Formula One until 2006 in his defence. Yeah, yeah, Michael Schumacher just cheated in Formula One a lot, didn't he? But apparently that made him special. Maverick behave. Uh, 2003 tyre rule change, Jamie was sticking to the early to mid-2000s here. This one, a lot of people believe, was probably the peak of Ferrari international assistance. I don't know much about this, so you can you can take it away. So, 2003, of course. We've been led off of three years of Michael Schumacher and Ferrari domination. Obviously, in won 2002, getting a podium in every Grand Prix. But McLaren and Williams both were fighting back in 2003 obviously Michelin versus Bridgestone uh for those of you obviously you know in real formula one at the moment there were talks about whether Pirelli would lose the tire deal um uh, and you know whether he could get another tire war I cannot stress this enough tire wars are absolutely the worst thing to happen in any (laughs) racing series ever not once has it worked out well for anyone involved um but we have Michelin versus Bridgestone and from what I gather I think... I'm trying to make sure I get this the right way around. The Bridgestones that were on the Ferraris and the backmarkers basically were only designed for the Ferrari cars. But they took longer to warm up, but lasted better. No, this was, sorry, about the uh, tread depths, wasn't it? Mm. Where Bridgestone felt that Michelin had found a way to manipulate the tyre wear levels and they were taking more out of their tyres during a Grand Prix when in actual fact it wasn't actually helping them with performance at all. But with two races to go of the year bearing in mind there's stood a three-way scrap for the World Championship and it is anyone's game between Kimi in the McLaren Montoya in the Williams and Michael in the Ferrari the FIA completely changed the rules and Michael Schumacher wins the last two Grand Prix's easily. Uh, He didn't actually win the last one. He just... Did he not win the last one? Um... But he won Sorry. Yes. Two in a
1: row, which got in the championship in Monza. And yes, there were three races to yeah. go, wasn't it? Yeah. But
0: just for, for a
1: bit of context, the the other teams using Bridgestones, like Ferrari, were were the only relevant teams were Honda and Sauber. Um, and yeah. And Honda weren't Honda really, really relevant, relevant. yet. Yeah. Sauber though went. Uh, what's that? Five races though. So they'd got one point since round three, going into round yeah. sixteen, and then the, yeah. in USA. They finished third and fifth. Yes, exactly. So they it was completely over Michelin, and yeah, the Bridgestone teams massively uh, benefited. But, if but they did get their own back in 2005. They did. They did. If you, no, actually, that was benefiting Bridgestone as well, wasn't it? That was the. Well no, I meant the rest of the season, oh, not just okay, Indy. Fair. Yeah, IndyCar, Indy Indianapolis. Sorry, not IndyCar. Wrong sport. Uh, <laughs> was very much anti-Michelin once again. So, <laughs> fun time. But yeah, Schumacher, sadly for Raikkonen and Montoya, uh, just won the championship only by two points. But
0: yeah, Kimi yeah. had a mega season. To be fair, only taken one win though all year long for Kimi Raikkonen, yeah. uh, which I believe is only his about his third in the sports. So he would have easily shattered the record for least wins to win a world championship? Yeah. Or before first world championship, first if he'd won that. Not. Well, I thought he won one race in two thousand and two.
1: To be uh, fair. No he didn't, so his first race was first win was Malaysia
0: So he could have won a world championship with just one, one race win his name. Yeah. That is mad, Kekke Rosberg or what <laughs> um, Jamie, T-Arrows, minus we saw this one we didn't quite know exactly what was going on so you've done a bit uh, of research I? I didn't do that I'll do You told right me now. what it was about before we started T-Arrows, Did oh no I thought you told me about this before we just started doing the intro No <laughs> I'm adamant you did. okay, I understand. Apparently, a guy called...
1: I don't know. Basically, Arrows got
0: scammed into selling their team to a Nigerian prince. And I'm not making that up. (laughs) Yes. No, they actually did, didn't they? Because we had no idea where this guy's money came from. And he had some weird shell company, didn't he? Yes. And he put this T-minus, which was his
1: company, on the side of the Arrows in 1999. Which actually looks quite good. But... This is probably, like, the 90s version of Rich Energy. Yeah,
0: basically. But even weirder. Even weirder, for sure. Yes. Um. Maybe Maybe we'll have to do a whole podcast about <laughs> that at some point, because the amount of information that slowly leaked out of that was absolutely incredible back in the day. Um. I think this might be the most recent one, though, on the entire Tier 3 of the Iceberg, Jamie. The F1 logo change at what I believe was the end of 2017? Yes, it was. They did it.
1: They announced it on the podium in Abu Dhabi after a boring race to end a, a string of a few boring races towards the end of that season. And I remember we were I both well, reps, you know. well, well, well into Twitter circles at this point. I remember the...
0: Twitter circles is a real thing, Jamie. We're not into oh, yeah, Twitter sorry. circles, by the way. Twitter <laughs> communities, or
1: communities or back then it was Twitter. Um, I remember everyone... Fuming about this, everyone because Rich Energy had just come in to owning the sport at the beginning of 2017. They hadn't. Sorry, not so, no. Energy, let's just no. no <laughs> Media, not, that would be awful. If <laughs> William Story bought F1, <laughs> yes, and still can't provide a can for anyone because they don't exist. Um, yeah, yeah. Liberty Media bought the sport at the beginning of the year didn't really do anything. It was towards the end of the year, wasn't it? No, they owned it from the start, because it was Chase Carey came in. I thought thought it was Singapore they bought it. No, definitely not. They owned it from the beginning of the year. Um, Okay. But, obviously, in terms of racing, because the the FIA had put in a technical directive for the new car model to just be really fast, but you can't overtake, which was a great idea. (laughs) Um,
0: it was all about high downforce yeah. wasn't it it was probably going to make the cars uh, better every
1: engineer and every driver knew it would be boring and it turns out the races were it was just quite lucky that Ferrari and Mercedes both built good cars that year otherwise it would have been one of the worst years in a long time um, but yeah so everyone was a bit a bit annoyed anyway just generally it's 2017 so you know that's kind of the vibe and then <laughs> on the podium in Abu Dhabi they just finished the podium celebrations and then they flip the flags or like they, they change the, the, uh, where the, fl- the screen where the flags are on. They change it to the new F1 logo. And everyone is really annoyed because <laughs> re- pay- uh, at first it just looks super basic. Um, and obviously, you know, you see it with a lot of modern companies. They try and make their logos more minimalist. And the old logo kind of was like an optical illusion where you've got to look for the one in the middle which a lot of people didn't even know was Fantastic logo. It was logo. a great logo. Fantastic logo. It is a brilliant logo, but a lot of people didn't even realise it was a one until it got replaced, and people were like, oh, there was one in there. Okay. Um. So I can see... Uh, Liberty Media, obviously, they couldn't do much to the sport in their first year, and I think they wanted to remind people that they exist. So they were like, oh, we'll just change the logo. <laughs> but yes, it it caused a bit of a stir on Twitter. I actually... I prepped a video. This gonna be funny to you. I prepped. A, oh no! I prepped a video back in 2017 called "Is F1 Dying."
0: <laughs> Jamie, is that video still like private?ed On no, your I never YouTube made channel? it.
1: I just wrote notes on it.
0: Ah, um, oh, can you can you send me the note? Can we release I the notes? I still got
1: them. I might. I might still have them. If
0: you can find those notes, and I, I will make sure to leave a link down I made in the description a, I made so a we list can. List of them.
1: reasons on a document of why F1 was going down the drain. And then, like, four years later, it's the biggest sport in the world.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's why Jamie wasn't made the president of Formula no, 1. exactly, exactly. But, yeah. I wouldn't vote you in. As, as a valid Formula 1 shareholder <laughs> still, I would not vote you into yeah. power. The old logo
1: was definitely better. So
0: yeah, The old the old logo was very, very cool. But, obviously, most people now, what staggers me is most people won't actually know what the old logo ever looked no, like. F1's grown so which much. Which is kind of wild. Like, yeah. Speaking of wild, though, Jamie, this has got to be one of the most bizarre Formula 1 stories of all time, isn't it? I've I've got two words for you, and anyone that knows quite a bit about Formula 1 conspiracies will know exactly what we're on about. Jaguar Diamonds. (laughs) The year is 2004, and one of the new... 2004... Um, And one of the new, I think it was Ocean's Eleven, if I remember correctly. I've never seen any of them in my life, uh, but the new Ocean's Eleven movie is releasing. And they have agreed a partnership with Jaguar, ready for the Monaco Grand Prix weekend, which included a $400,000 diamond wedged into the front wing of each of the Jaguar cars. Yes, it sounds a bit dumb, really. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, well, after what happened, yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: But even so, you're just going to throw your weight balance off. So, engineers will be few. Well, more weight over the
0: front end isn't such a bad thing.
1: Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Especially around Monaco. Indeed, indeed. And, yeah, it was so, so ridiculous what happened. It's, you could basically make a heist film out of this, I reckon. But, anyway, the Jaguars are going around in Monaco. One of them... I can't... Uh, Christian Clean, who's driving a Jaguar crashed in the race in Monaco on the opening lap and broke his front of the car, broke his front wing, which is exactly where the diamond is lodged. <laughs> the the marshals and all the people recovering the car, bring it back to the pit lane uh, for Jaguar to, you know, retrieve the diamond and give back this 400k diamond. And it has completely disappeared. <laughs> Off the face of the I'm earth. I'm so sure that one of the marshals just was like, oh, go on then, I'll
0: have that. Um, and you know what? Well, Fair there's there's three theories, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's three theories surrounding this, which go from completely balmy to fairly sensible. Well, I'll go from balmiest first, Jamie. Okay. The diamond disappeared. Oh, yeah. Just completely in vanished. the incident. Interd- <laughs> it just vanished. You know, whether it was that thing where the atoms line up perfectly <laughs> and it's somewhere never to be discovered again. The slightly less bizarre theory is... It came off the car, obviously, in the crash. Went down a storm drain, and now is at the bottom of the Monaco Harbour somewhere. Um, which, let's be fair, based on the people that live in Monaco, a four hundred thousand pound diamond—if you fish probably. that up—you're fairly likely just to lob yeah, it it's back probably in. Pocket change, really, based um, on what's at the bottom. Of it probably true. is. And as you mentioned, either that, or there is a marshal still in Monaco with a four hundred thousand pound diamond that just has got a story that he'll only ever, or he or she will only ever, you know, showcase to their closest of friends. Or write a book on their deathbed. <laughs> no one. Yeah, can, uh, that would be a good one. Yeah, no one can arrest them. Just write two words on your deathbed: jaguar diamond. Or it never existed. What about that? Or it never existed. Perhaps the perhaps the diamond was the people watching all along. <laughs> enough enough poetry. We'll move on. What's next?
1: Uh, ah, Ligate. Ligate we love this one. Oh, mate, we chat so much
0: about this behind the scenes. This is uh, you will not believe, chat. Lewis
1: Hamilton lying to the stewards. So, that's all you need to know. <laughs>
0: do you want to phrase that I'll slightly better for me? Better.
1: So, you've got 2009 Thank Australian you. Grand Prix. Uh, McLaren have made an absolute dog of a car. Um, but because it's 2009, everyone's car is trash. So, he... Well, Australia, well, Australia anyway, certainly apart was. from the bronze. Uh, so, you know, it's Braun's first race. You've got Toyota up there. You've got Red Bull. Should have been up there, but weren't. Uh, oh, yeah, they crashed on the last lap, didn't they, with Kubica? Yeah. Um, it wasn't the last oh, lap. Uh, yeah, towards but the end, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, the last Hamilton, racing lap. Because he's such an elite driver. The first race back from his World Championship qualified last um, in, in qualifying. and <laughs> He qualified last in qualifying, no did he? I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, towards the end of the race, as we've just said, Vettel and Kubica have just crashed uh, a few laps from the end of the race. Button was winning by a handful of seconds before this. Uh, they both
0: both crashed into each
1: other and both independently of each other then crashed themselves getting back to the pit lane Um, they've, the safety car's out you know, uh, the order is Button from Barrichello who crashed into everyone that race but still finished second Um, and then Yano Trulli is third place with Lewis Hamilton doing a good recovery on a one stop to fourth uh, going into... He's gone
0: 20th to 4th. How can you only describe that as a good recovery And a <laughs> 12 car. cars crashed out. <laughs> there were not many cars there running um, That's also that a got points. Not as bad as 08, though.
1: Um, that was 8 No, wasn't no, he got points both years. Uh, you had, going into the penultimate corner at Melbourne, so the the slow left-hander, safety cars out, yellow flags everywhere, Janus Rulli in third place, uh, makes a mistake, goes off the track. Um... flies off the track. Yeah, I don't know why he's off the track, but he's so far into the runoff area um, that Lewis Hamilton has no choice but to overtake him and go up into third place. Uh, There's a lot of radio communication, um, but basically the team, McLaren this is, tell Hamilton to let Trulli back through um, before Trulli and Toyota are aware that that's what's happening. So Hamilton backs off, Trulli goes through, back into third place, takes the podium finish, and... Initially, Truly gets a 20-second penalty for overtaking at the safety car, which seems reasonable. So Hamilton's on the podium until a week later in Malaysia, when the FIA somehow took a week to find McLaren's radio communications. Uh, and uh, basically, the reason Truly got the penalty was because Hamilton and... I don't... What's his name? Something? Stepney? Uh, no, no, that, that was, was, Spygate. Like, was Spygate, wasn't it? Dave? I think it was Dave something but I can't can't remember his name but anyway, a McLaren engineer who's been there for years and years quite high up him and Lewis Hamilton went to the stewards and said "Uh, Truly pass me, get him a penalty Uh, (laughs) so the FAA did do that and then a week later when it found out the FAA found out that Lewis Hamilton actually let Truly through uh, suddenly they were like oh you lied to us because you told us Truly overtook you but actually you let him through um, and Shirley's penalty was undone, so he got back on the podium. And Hamilton was disqualified from the race because he lied to the stewards, which was completely fair. Uh,
0: so yeah, Hamilton's a snake, and I uh, no, well no, come on, just one second, Jamie. Hamilton was told to lie by the team, wasn't he? He was. you, you, you can't just pin this on Lewis. Um, and you know I'm I'm sure Lewis of now would probably treat things very differently Um, but he was also still a a very young and impressionable Formula 1 driver um, who was told to lie he was 25 yeah you'd still lie I'm 23 there you go (laughs) Um, okay but you're also not making your debut in Formula 1 in three weeks time no true but he's a champion at this point that that would be great for the podcast He's a champion after two years, Jamie. How many other iPhone drivers <laughs> so can that claim means that? Can lie. <laughs> well, I've not seen he can lie. Just you know, I think obviously you know the outcome of it was the McLaren team personnel who neither of us for, for some to reason name. locate his name. I just tried to find it, and I couldn't, um, which is a bit odd. Uh, but obviously, he was subsequently sacked by McLaren. Um, you know, this combined with Spygate a couple of years beforehand. McLaren weren't doing very well. Oh. Uh, but the most bizarre thing about all this, isn't it, Jamie, is if McLaren had just told the truth, they probably would have got a podium. No, they probably would have got fourth. Which seemed to think odd. Oh, no, because... Well, they would have at least got fourth. Yeah. But truly got a penalty, yeah.
1: But truly only got a penalty based on McLaren's lies. So I reckon they would have yeah. got fourth, I think. But yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was just all a bit of a messy situation yeah. towards the end that what have been such a stupid Grand Prix. <laughs> um, but at least Jensen Button won, yeah. so we can't complain too much. Yeah. Um, Red Bull's floor, Jamie. What let yeah, we make i did of a little this? bit of research on this
1: one. Uh, so the year is 2012. What a great year that was. Uh, basically, Red Bull have drilled some holes in their floor because Adrian Newey is a genius. Um,
0: and it's. Adrian Newey got a hammer for Christmas.
1: Yeah, yeah. so their floor around the side pods. Uh, has got some holes in it which uh, was a bit of a grey area in the rules so obviously Adrian knew has tried to exploit it by making it good for aero uh, which it turns out it was so uh, after the Monaco Grand Prix you've got Mercedes, Ferrari and McLaren uh, all are uh, going to protest Mark Webber's victory because he did it with some holes in his floor um, and the FA say now don't uh, we'll sort it out. We'll give you a new like clamp down on what is allowed before Canada, which is the next race. Uh, in Canada, they basically say, this is illegal. Um, Red Bull have got to change their floor. But they didn't bother going back and changing the result because nobody protested. <laughs> so, yeah, Rosberg could have had four Monaco Grand Prix in a row. Um, but Weber kept it, and they had to change the floor for Canada. And immediately in Canada, they finished fourth and like seventh or eighth or something. So... But twenty twelve was a mad year, so they may have finished that bad anyway.
0: Um yeah, yeah, yeah. Red Bull we we said this pre-show as well, Red Bull were never actually that good at Canada anyway, no. uh, throughout those years. But it Nika was Rosberg always CD. Could have been
1: the first repeat winner in the twenty twelve season.
0: Yeah, it could have been, which is absolutely wild to think about, wasn't it? Because I think that was, you know, potentially why they didn't. Changed it as well, yeah. wasn't it? Because, I mean, by that point, it was six winners in the first six Grand Prix, wasn't yeah. it? And then obviously, Hamilton went on to win the Canadian Grand Prix to make it seven out of seven. Yeah. With five which different is absolutely teams. Absolutely mad. Amazing. Yeah. Love Pastor Marlon and Williams included in that. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, Kimi Raikkonen would go on and win a race towards the yeah, end of the year like as well. Which is often forgot. Six teams, eight different winners. Uh, yeah. That's Michael even, should have won Marco. As well. Yeah, but then Mark, would Mark Webber have won yeah, a race Williams anywhere else? Oh, he did win Silverstone, didn't he? I knew he won one more before, but that was his last ever Formula One win, wasn't it? Yeah. Wild to think about. Um, Mercedes tyre test, similar era, yeah. but another. Yeah, team. Hamilton
1: involved in cheating once again.
0: Um, oh, I don't think that's. <laughs> I mean, come on! Now, the fact you say Hamilton and not Rosberg, <laughs> yeah,
1: Rosberg was just being told what to do by your. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. So Mercedes in 2013. If you know anything about 2013, you'll know. They're absolutely rapid in qualifying. They get so many pole positions. Um, I think, I think Rosberg might have had the most pole positions. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but Rosberg definitely. Don't think so. I think he, Hamilton, Rosberg got, got so many poles, especially the first half of the season. I think it was about nine yeah.
0: in the end. I think it was just but less than Red Bull.
1: Pretty much every race, they had to do one or two more stops than the most of their rivals. Um, so they practically never like did anything with the poles. I think. They got three wins between them and about 10 poles or something. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Spain, which was kind of what triggered this whole controversy, Rosberg started on pole, Hamilton second. Rosberg finished ninth on a four-stop with absolutely no tyre wear,
0: and I think Hamilton might have finished fourth or fifth. Um, So just to confirm, sorry, as well, uh, Red Bull took, I think it was 11 poles, Mercedes took eight that year.
1: Right, yeah, so Mercedes... Uh, Well, uh, Vettel got 13 wins and Mercedes got three between them, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah, not not great from Mercedes. But anyway, after Spain, they've got a uh, there's a tire test going on, but only with Mercedes and Pirelli, which is a bit weird. But it's okay because this has been arranged from the start of the season. Mercedes just happens to be the team that works with Pirelli to do the tire test. But what they're not allowed to do is use their own drivers, their race drivers, to do this test.
0: And the current and the car, current if car. I was not mistaken, yes.
1: as well. So, uh, Ross Braun, who is in charge of Mercedes at this point, and I guess Toto was there as well, wasn't he? Um, yeah, they just decide, you know what, screw it. We're going to use our own car and our drivers because our tyre wear is so trash that we could do with the testing, which testing is banned at this point, a long time ago. Um, so they do they do a day's testing at Barcelona, and everyone's obviously fuming about it. <laughs> um, and in fact, they did. they won the next race in Monaco, uh obviously Monaco, you just get pole and you win. So Uh yeah. They they did the tire test with their own drivers. It was pretty big controversy. But they actually came to quite an amicable, sensible conclusion, which is surprising for the FIA. Um But yeah, later in the year there was a young drivers test, uh which the teams used to get data on tires as well, at Silverstone, I believe it was. So they basically said to Mercedes, We shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have done that. But if you like you're banned from the young driver test and that'll make up for the the game testing time you got here so it actually blew over quite fast for a big controversy in F1 obviously Mercedes didn't really benefit from it that much because Red Bull just went on to win everything so so yeah it did go away quite quickly but they didn't really fix their
0: tyres for the rest of the season either no, no, but it did lull Red Bull in to upgrade their car, didn't it, over the summer break? Which of course like then it. led on to Sebastian Vettel's ridiculous dominant spell, which is about to get uh, to end. <laughs> it is, yeah. I'm so worried. I'm going to Monza and I'm going to see Max break that record. Good. What a driver! <laughs> mm, okay, um, Mastercard Lola Jamie. Now this one is a story of the age. Oh, you can go for it then. I know nothing. So, the year is 1996, and Lola have partnered up to try and set up a new Formula 1 team. And, you know, they're looking for title sponsors. They're looking to make their debut in 1998, and they need cashola. And where better to go for cash than MasterCard? I think a lot of people forget just how big MasterCard and Visa are as companies. Like, how much money they make. Uh, Because obviously there's millions of transactions going through their networks every single day. Um, So Mastercard, they're like, yeah, we're going to foot the bill for this new Formula One team. We don't want to wait a year, though. We want to start in 1997. And obviously Lola are there going... (laughs) Because basically Mastercard have turned around and gone, we're starting in 1997 or we're not paying. And Lola have basically gone... Ah! Well, not really our choice. Now, uh, we're we're about two months away from the start of the year, and we haven't even got anything close uh, to resembling a Formula One car. Uh, and safe to say, it went very, very badly, very, very yeah. quickly. Because always <laughs> the golden rule in Formula One, Jamie, isn't it? Is an underfunded team is sorry, an unprepared team even is always the way to go. Uh, so they attended the first race of the year, if I, I remember correctly. You, actually, so it was it was not great, 22nd was it?
1: Second place. Was Pedro Diniz, the 24th cars on the grid, for Arrows? Yep. Uh, Diniz yep. set a lap time outside the 107% limit, but was allowed to start because there yep. wasn't much out of it, uh, only three tenths. So he's 6.6 seconds off pole position, which was set by Jacques yep. Uh Vincenzo Sospiri for Lola yep. was 11 seconds off pole position. <laughs> it was a bit of a disaster. So he almost doubled the gap to Diniz, and then Ricardo Rossi was 12.7 seconds off in the other Lola. Um And then immediately, MasterCard <laughs> pulled out
0: after one raid. Instantly. <laughs> after one weekend, MasterCard were like, we're not getting involved in this anymore. I've just been on their um, page that they tried to come back. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, they tried to make a yeah, comeback. In 2010. Of course they did.
1: Uh, yeah. With all the new teams coming in, obviously they announced there's going to be a budget cap, at stupidly low, at $30 or $40, 40 million, million dollars or something, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. And Lola tried to come back, but. Uh, later in this, a few months later, they announced they'd abandoned it after they couldn't get any funding. Uh, but yeah. they could have just gone to Mastercard and been like, "Do you want round two? <laughs> round two, lads! Yeah, go on, get back on it. Let's do uh, it. Come on, so, bring the band back together." Yeah, probably the statistically the worst team ever. They entered one race, didn't qualify, and then binned it off.
0: Well, I think the thing was, as well, wasn't it? Is why Mastercard Lola is remembered so well was, of course, we had all these just ridiculous teams back in the late '80s and early '90s, and Mastercard Lola were kind of the last of those teams, really, mm. that were. I mean, because we can go on about how like how HRT were awful, and they were five six seconds off the pace, not twelve. Yes, um, at least HRT but had my... some reasonable competition. They were only like a second off. Whereas being five yeah. seconds behind the next fastest team... Anyone. Yeah, which wasn't exactly a good team in themselves. But my favourite bit about this all, though, Jamie, my favourite bit about Is this it? entire thing, Vincenzo Suspiri and Ricardo Rosset still beat Michael Schumacher that year in the championship.
1: <laughs> uh, did they actually? Surely those weren't classified.
0: Yep. They were classified. Well, they were, they were on the they ranking did. board. <laughs> <laughs> they beat Michael Schumacher with a did not qualify to their names. They
1: actually called Yan and Joss So,
0: well done. They did, yeah. In terms of points, yeah. they didn't beat, they didn't equal them in the championship because of course Jan got a seventh place and Yos uh, got an eighth place. Yeah. Um But yeah, absolutely crazy. I mean, yeah, 1997 was a weird little season, oh, yeah. wasn't it? Fretzen always um, won the title like in Jordan. Sorry, oh, wait. That was ninety nine. Thirty nine yeah, points <laughs> behind Jack Villeneuve, Yeah, um, in the. Well, I mean, yeah, just bizarre. Obviously, Schumacher. I mean, nineteen ninety seven has got some fantastic stats, doesn't it? Obviously, Schumacher and Villeneuve have never shared a podium. Yeah. Despite fighting for the world championship, um, obviously you had the triple equal qualifying yeah. in the season finale in Harf as well, and there were just so many other little weird and wonderful statistics from that campaign. And of course, it's never a fantastic Formula 1 season without Alex Wurtz <laughs> scoring a podium out of Alex nowhere. Alex is just really weird. <laughs> we, we we want to do a whole podcast It'd on Alex Wurtz cool sometime. A he would be a fantastic guest for the show. We can add him it to the list like of hopeful people. who never he actually got a chance, he just got a podium. It was... And then never it was... showed up again. For like five years before he just do it again. Yeah. Um, Interlagos Robberies. Yeah, It's a pretty ongoing thing, yeah, isn't we it, don't, that just kept happening every it, year. I know one in particular
1: was 2010, uh, on the way to the track for the race. So Jensen Button's qualified 11th. His championship hopes are basically dead in the water. He used to win the last two races and hope Vettel or Alonso or Weber don't score any points, pretty much. Um, so he's yeah. probably quite down. Uh, and then just to make things better, on the way to the track, with all of his like closest engineers and uh, whoever, physios and that, uh, their car gets uh, like stopped on the way from their hotel to the track in Interlagos in Brazil and they get broken into basically an armed robbery uh, and they lose like watches and wallets and all sorts and then they have to arrive at the track and still do a race so it's pretty traumatic um, he did, I think he, he made some positions but that's probably not the important thing <laughs>
0: but, <laughs> he finished seventh that day. Yeah, well <laughs> if <Jimmy> can remember. <laughs> I think he was. We'll, yeah. i I made that uh, up, I have no idea.
1: Yeah. It was pretty rough. And actually, I think it probably addressed it now. But back in those days, the hotel that, that the person I used to stay in was basically a drive across a dangerous part of town in Interlagos, which isn't a yeah. particularly safe
0: city anyway yeah I was going to say which to be fair Interlagos it probably still now to this day is basically just a, most of Brazil isn't it you get the same thing careful in Rio and things like that as well yeah sorry what you say. I thought, I thought I mean, you were that, going to come out with something I, outrageous then but no <laughs> no I don't know where your brain was going yeah. I think just a lot of well, Brazil even, is, I mean it's a lot of South America is very yeah, dangerous even still. when the World Cup was there in 2014
1: you had these huge mega stadiums for the football on the back of like shanty towns pretty much So it is a very strange country, really.
0: But just the juxtaposition between... Corrupt, I think, is the word you're looking for, but but yeah. Um, But that being said, Angel Argos still delivers a good race to this day. And great weather
1: for the racing, not
0: for them. (laughs) (laughs) Great weather. (laughs) Jensen Button getting robbed of gunpowder. At least least the sun's shining, you know, I can't complain. (laughs) (laughs) Deary me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the other famous one I remember, I know it wasn't actually during the Interlagos or the Brazilian Grand Prix weekend, it was, of course, Bernie Eccleson's wife, wasn't she? She was abducted um, by like the Brazilian mafia years later, wasn't she? Wow. Um, and Bernie was bribed to pay them a lot of money, which, of course, clearly in Brazil the culture towards wives is very different than the yeah. rest of the world, uh, because I'm sure a lot of blokes would have said, oh, you just keep her. Yeah.
1: Well, that happened with didn't it? Oh, that's actually lower on the ice curve, so that. was we'll save um, that. Cuba. We'll
0: save that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're a very, very different country, but still. Um, Jos Verstappen Fire. A pretty simple one, this one, isn't it? 1994 Hockenheim?
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, Refuelling.
0: One of the most famous clips of F1? Refuelling is a thing
1: at this point. Um, and, yeah, Jos Verstappen's just chilling in the pits, getting his fuel in the car, uh, and then fuel just sprays everywhere out of the nozzle. Uh, and then gets absolutely ignited by the exhaust tubes and the the engine and that sort of thing in the, the V10. And just the heat. Yeah, just the heat, really. Uh, and it completely goes up in flames, and it's quite impressive. Well, it's very impressive uh, and very dangerous, but thankfully this was uh, after the point of them getting all fireproof overalls. Um, although I think not all of the, the pit mechanics did. So, they, you know, obviously they all got... Like they probably got some burns. The Oscar certainly had burns on his face. Um, But yeah, was very bad. Uh, I think this probably made them make a change to the fueling system. Uh, But yeah, everyone was.
0: Well, I was. I was going to say because this was the other controversy surrounding this, wasn't it, Jamie? Why did fuel spray everywhere? I don't know actually. Because Benetton had tampered with the flow rate on the hose. Hadn't they? Yeah, this was the big controversy surrounding it. it. was Benetton apparently had massively upped the flow rate through the hose, illegally. Of course, because there was fuel flow limits going into the car. Uh, the, the, because Benetton just... I mean, let's be fair. Benetton in 1994, I don't think many people can argue with it nowadays. Basically showed up with a very illegal car in basically every way, didn't they? <laughs> it's still questioned to this day. <laughs> like, what else about that car wasn't was not legal? But of course, you had Flavio Briatore, who was, was bizarre.
1: Was only he was Schumacher's teammate that whole year, wasn't he? Because Schumacher mm. was, yeah, uh, most of the races. Schumacher was banned for two races at this point, so cause for ignoring black he flags, was th- they were taking Damon Hill on the warm-up lap at Silverstone. So yep. classic, you know. We love that.
0: 1994 is another season we could just do yeah. a podcast on. Yeah, utterly bizarre. And when Joss took the helmet utterly off in the bizarre. pits, he looks so much like Max.
1: It's incredible. Um, yeah, or do Max looks yeah, exactly. a lot like him. Like father, like son.
0: As some might say. I don't yeah. think anyone was severely injured. There was just burns. Uh, I, don't know, I think the thing is, as well, isn't it? Of course, the you know the other similarity between uh, Max and Yoss is, of course, that you know Yoss then, and obviously Max now, a seven-time world champion, lives rent-free in his head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even gonna write that one. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get it in there, I had to get it in there. Um, anyway, Juan Pablo Montoya, 2002 Sepang so penalty. Jamie had, admittedly, no idea about yeah. this until I sent him over so some I footage pre-show.
1: And it is ridiculous.
0: I have no idea <laughs>
1: what the FIA were doing at this point.
0: Well, FIA, wasn't it? Ferrari International yeah. Assistance. Yeah,
1: uh, but basically, you've got Turn 1 at Malaysia, Sepang, you know, the, the, the big hairpin... Uh, slow right-hander followed by a slow left-hander Montoya's on the outside Schumacher's on the inside Montoya is uh, started second but taken the lead on the runs turn one and Schumacher kind of does a bit of a send to get alongside Uh, Montoya's still very very narrow to the inside of the track but Schumacher locks up his uh, front left and understeers or basically just drives into the side of Montoya um, who's squeezed him a bit but nothing like there's still a car's width so it's fine and Schumacher crashes into Montoya. Schumacher loses front wing. Montoya's obviously lost a lot of positions and probably got some damage. And the FIA think, actually, I think that's Montoya's fault. <laughs> Which
0: we we urge you just to watch the footage because it I is was hilarious mind blown
1: that they gave Montoya a penalty. Like
0: it's insane. Well, I think the only thing you can really compare it to since then in more recent F1 history was Sebastian Vettel against Rosberg, wasn't it in 2016?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess Schumacher was more alongside than that, but it was
0: similar. Yeah, yeah, it's similar enough, yeah. wasn't it? And obviously, Seb, yeah, crashed out of that Grand Prix and Rosberg. uh, hampered Rosberg's title yeah, chances. Well, until Hamilton had ended, um, which we love yeah, until Petronas <laughs> allegedly blew up Hamilton's engine at their home yeah, Grand Prix for some reason. Um, <laughs> well, it was just to get Rosberg out at the end of the year, wasn't it? Get someone with some talent well, in, in the car. Be um. <Yeah>. Uh, but yeah, how this was a penalty. Like we, we question penalties a lot in Formula 1, don't we, Jamie? Yeah. Uh, but this one was ridiculous. It's probably the worst. Juan thing, Pablo it Montoya. It's got to be up there as one of the worst penalties in yeah. Formula 1 memory, uh, at least. Um, let's go on, though, Jamie, to the photo split. The fika photo war. Yeah, you can do this. Of the... Early 80s. <laughs> so, it's a bit of a complicated time. To be honest, in these kind of icebergs, it, it's stories like this that we don't feel like we can give full no, justice pro- to. full-on podcast um, episodes devoted. Again, this is another one that should probably be a full-on podcast. But, of course, this was basically back in the early 80s um, where Fika and Fota basically were, obviously, the drivers, you know, obviously wanted certain things. And, obviously, Formula 1 obviously wanted very, very different this things for the sport, page. you know. That's mad. It does, yeah, exactly. Um, But, of course, yeah, basically this was, you know, where the drivers finally started to realise, you know, that they carried, obviously, a lot of value in the sport. Uh, And Bernie Eccleston, obviously, basically led them and was allowed effectively to, obviously, take over Formula 1 and completely revolutionise the sport until, of course, he stopped revolutionising the sport by about 2006. Um, But, yeah, no, like we said, obviously, we can't really do it any justice in a podcast like this. Um, Jamie, have you got anything else to add? i just particularly? Doing some quick reading. It is a fantastic Basically, story, and like I said, it should be a full podcast. They, the
1: teams weren't happy. The thing that culminated it was the announcement of a the cost cap for 2010, so it's all
0: in 2009. Um, This is long before that, no, isn't
1: it? No, the, the FAA photo just,
0: like... Oh, FIA filter yeah. is a very, very different one. We're thinking of two oh, well, very I'm different are. Well, we okay, we'll, we'll talk about both then. <laughs>
1: basically, everyone was fuming that they were. I remember this one. Yeah, I remember this, yeah, I remember well. this yeah. happening when I was nine, I think. Um, basically, they, the FIA have said we're getting this cost cap in so we can get some new teams. The only teams that liked it were Force India and Williams, I remember, because I was gassed that Fizzicello so, was going to get a podium skid. every week. Uh, <laughs> Teary uh, in 2010 well, They announced it in 09 for 2010 It um, wasn't physical well, dropped by 20. Was, I, I wasn't to know that at nine years old <laughs> But basically every other team The other eight teams led up by Ferrari Probably um, Had basically said Now nah, we're doing our own thing So there's an also a Wikipedia article called Grand Prix World Championship Which is yep. a proposed series To replace F1 <laughs> Um with a bunch of... For 2010, this is. With a bunch of venues. They actually came up with a calendar, including uh, Buenos Aires, Mexico City. uh, Helsinki is there. Um, It just sounds like a Formula E calendar. Yeah, they were going to Marina Bay, which had, at that point, uh, never been raced. They were going to Kletvitz in Eurospeedway. 2010 it had been. Oh, yeah, it had been by one one year. So, yeah, they basically got quite far down the line of doing their own thing. Um, But eventually, they obviously... At first, they raised the the cost cap to forty five million dollars, which
0: people said was fine. Or no one said was fine actually. But, but then we have also got to mention there, haven't we, that the cost cap back then was very very different to the one proposed yes. now. That was not going to cover anywhere near as many things. No, yeah. So it was massively like putting shackles
1: on everyone basically. So it really wouldn't have
0: worked. But no, it was a lot less shackles than now. Is what really? I'm saying. That forty five million was only cover was covering a lot less oh, okay. than the hundred and thirty five million
1: is now. Everyone was still fuming. Uh, yeah. So eventually the FIA caved because they were like, we can't, we can't have F1 with four teams. Uh, <laughs> so they caved, didn't put the cost cap in, and that completely screwed over those three new teams who did make it in for 2010, for the next decade, really. Yeah. Um, well, six years yeah, they're until they were all gone. But yeah, it was very, very strange. And actually, it was massive controversy. Um, kind of ended up with BMW and Toyota both pulling out because they were done with F1 at this point done with Bernie Well,
0: and that and the financial crash wasn't it completely screwed them yeah so the FIFA Um, Foca War was in the 80s sorry yes and that is actually in tier 4 I've just spotted as well just below so Um, so you were absolutely bang on there go down that path next time we will have to go through that one as well and the last entrant then Jamie inside tier 3 of the F1 iceberg is the Brabham fan car yeah I know nothing about this so take it away well, this was back in the uh, 70s, if I'm led to oh, believe. If my memory hasn't failed. Well, I've said it many times before. I fully You're thought it right. was
1: like a car that a fan could drive. That's a bit weird. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do know this one then. Okay. Well, you could take it away anyway.
0: Oh, that is... sorry. I'm just taking
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, like, why would they, they let a fan f- drive a Formula One car? <laughs>
0: That is so funny. Oh, give me a moment. Oh, <laughs> oh God. So the year is 1978. I'm struggling. Um, Obviously, a couple of years beforehand, we'd had the beautiful Tyrrell six-wheeler. Uh, and Formula One was, you know, trying to stamp down on a few things. Uh, and Brabham basically showed up with a car with a huge dustbin lid. Cellotape to the back of it. Everyone's like, "Oh, I wonder what that is." Of course, they they unveil it as they go out onto track. It's a huge fan trying to abuse ground effect. Um, now, obviously, the late seventies, early eighties. 80s... Is Sorry? it a
1: turbocharger? They're basically, blowing air, no. artificially into the into the downforce area.
0: How do you think a turbocharger well, turbo is engine? but I know it's a fan. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're both they're both fans. I suppose yeah. it's kind of all they've got in common, but they serve a completely different purpose, Jamie. <laughs> Um, But yeah, it was introduced for the 1978 Swedish Grand Prix. Um, Obviously, you know, to battle it out with the Lotus 79, I think it was that year, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, Because Lotus were weird and would keep labelling their cars for the year after they were racing, uh, which was a bit odd. Um, But it was ridiculous. So stupid. You know, if anyone knows if you played Gran Turismo back in the day, the Chaparral 2J, uh, it was basically a car equivalent to that in Formula 1. And Dominated um, during free practice, but I think if I remember correctly, it was actually removed before it even raced. Uh, um, Brabham. Oh no, sorry, it did take one like, win, wasn't it, it? Sorry, it won. If that was the race. It won, it won. It won the Swedish Grand Prix. Sorry, um, and then was subsequently removed immediately after that because it allowed Bernie Eccleston, who of course was still running Brabham at that time, uh, it allowed him to gain even more power inside the world of Formula One. Yes, indeed. And there's a great video on uh,
1: like, F1's YouTube channel about a few years ago now, like the top 10 weirdest innovations. Stuff like the X-Wing Ferrari yeah. and the, um, like the six-wheel Tyrrell is on there. The Tyrrell. And this, yeah, this yeah. Uh, car with a massive fan on the back. Um, and not a person supporting them, as it turns out. Um, <laughs> yeah,
0: it's good. good watch. Go look it up. Definitely would recommend that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was obviously Formula 1 during the first ground effect era, um, obviously that was, I'm sure, very much immediately put on the list of things you couldn't do uh, when they announced, obviously, the ground effect was coming back as well um, in the future. But if I'm not mistaken, obviously, this car was, it, so obviously, they won the race with Nicky Lauda at the wheel, but I think this, yeah, was obviously after he'd left Ferrari, wasn't it? After winning his two yeah. world championships with them. Um. So yeah, very very weird time in Nicky Lauda's F1 career. Of course, one in Sweden and then one with the non fan yeah. variant again at the Italian the Grand race, Prix. Right, one race, finished on a po- yeah. He finished on the podium in every race. He finished that year. Yeah, Nicky Lauda. Uh, but he, he had two wins a second uh, sorry two seconds and a third and every other race was a retirement. Yeah, Eleven DNS though. Nine and two non-entries. Nine DNFs yeah, and two non-entries, which is wild. Still finished third though in the championship. Fair play that car, well, that team, even I should say. Fair play. Oh no, he did enter the first two. It just with the
1: that wasn't that car. They were still running last year's car for the first two races. Yeah, but you got two two more podiums,
0: so that still stands. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Um, have we got anything to add though, Jamie? I think we've done pretty well there, haven't we, we? Have rattled through it. Do we think Brabham should actually develop a car that fans can drive? That'd be great. I'll, I'll go do that. <laughs> that we are going to set that up then. Jamie183 is going to drive a Brabham actual fan yes. car. that got to be up there with the funniest thing you've ever said. And this is the same podcast that you said Rich Energy bought F1. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is not, not wild in morning, itself. There we go. It, it, it has been an early morning start for Jamie183. <laughs> but thank you all. As always, so much for listening. Uh, I think we might be able to get one more of these, in, mightn't we, uh, before, yeah, before Formula before One is back. It depends if we can do a preview show ready for the Dutch Grand Prix as well uh, that week. But plenty more podcasts, of course, as always, will be coming your way. But thank you all so much as always for listening like we said at the start obviously links down in the description below uh, obviously if you want to go check out the official known wheel youtube page as well uh the podcast actually most weeks now go up live earlier there than they do here on the main channel so yeah i would highly recommend it um but yeah we'll be back very very soon then with tier four of the f1 iceberg and i can already see there uh, there is a lot of spicy stuff as always to get into